Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. Good morning, good morning. Who's excited for church? Man, this is week two at 11 a.m. And I, who's loving 11 a.m.? Come on. Who's, who thinks the room is too cold? You can leave. We did 18 months with no AC. I want to come, I want it so cold, I'll come with a jacket. Come on. Uh, if we had not met, my name is Ali, and my beautiful wife and I, she, she came up here and prayed a moment ago. We started this church four years ago with a simple dream. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians could grow in their faith. So if you're, if you're, you're a Christian from another church, you're going to grow passionate at this church. But the seven of the eight families that started this church, we got saved in our 20s. We know the injections of faith. We know the, the fear and the anxiety you get the first time you come to church. Your, your booty's like, mm, because you're nervous. So we wanted to create a place where not only Christians can come and grow, but non-believers can come and explore their faith. So if you're new to church, welcome. Let me tell you, you're, you can you feel safe here. It's a place where you can belong long before you believe. And we are in a fun collection of talks. I've heard so much feedback called Think Like a Monk. And it's this, this concept that if you want to change your life, you got to change the way you think. Proverbs 23 says, as a man thinketh in his heart. I love the King James version of that one, by the way. As he thinketh. No one talks like that except for my, my three-year-old. As you thinketh in your heart, so is he. Meaning if you want to change the, the way you walk, your direction, you got to first change your mindset. Because when you change the way you think, then you change the way your direction. Science calls this neuroplasticity. The Bible calls this being renewed by the transformation of your mind. Amen? And it's good news for some of those that want to change our life. We actually can. God wants to change our direction. Anybody want to change their life this morning? Come on. Today's sermon is going to be a little challenging. I'm going, to, I'm going to be in your face a little bit. I'm going to share some personal stories. But you're going to be encouraged. You're going to be inspired. And you will be challenged. I want to read from you from Daniel chapter 1. When you see on the screen, someone say amen. I'm going to read eight verses, but I think you have the strength to do it. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, I had to look all these names up on Google how to pronounce them. Of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. It's an Old Testament word right there. I love it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasury house of his God. Then the king ordered Aspenaz. Come on. Thankful for public school. They did nothing to help me pronounce that name right there. Chief of his court officials to bring into the king's Service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without physical defect, handsome, kind of like your pastor, showing aptitude of every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand. Ladies, this is your list if you're looking for a man. Qualified to serve in the king's palace. He went to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. Someone say three years. That's a long time. And after that, they were to enter the king's service along with those who were chosen from, from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The king's official gave them new names. Someone say new names. To Daniel, who gave them the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, he gave Shadrach. And to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel, someone say, but Daniel, resolved not to defile himself. He made a choice. With the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. I'm going to read you another translation. This is the Berean translation. It's that last verse, verse 8. 
But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's food or wine, so he asked the king's official for permission not to defile himself. I'm going to preach to you around this idea. Have you made up your mind yet? Have you made up your mind yet? Do Do you know if you should do this or if you should do that? Should you take this job or not? And there's a lot of people in this room that you have indecision. You don't know what to do. You don't know what your next step is. I want to help you get a, a heavenly mindset. Anyone ready for a heavenly mindset? Somebody shout amen. amen. Let me pray for us before we begin. If you can close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus, that you want to speak to us this morning, God. That your word is alive and active, God. We didn't just come to study you. We came to experience you, Jesus. Speak to us, Lord, for your servant is listening. Teach me new ways. I want to walk out of this room looking more like you, talking more like you, loving more like you. If you believe that, everybody said? Everybody said? Can we give Jesus a round of applause? Come on, we have AC. AC in August. Come on. This is good news. Uh, Show of hands if you are the type of person that you spend weeks researching something before you buy it. Come on. Okay, now raise your hand if you're that person that you, you click the first link, the first advertisement on Amazon. Okay, there's different kinds of people in this room. Some people make decisions super fast, and some people take a long time. Uh, in my marriage, I'm just confessing, come on, don't judge me, there's two areas that there is massive spiritual warfare intention. <laughs> don't laugh. The first one is about around the Netflix controller. Come on. Uh, I'm going to reveal my age in a moment. How many of you remember Blockbuster. Yeah, Blockbuster, rest in peace, we love you. It's gone. But when you were 10, that was the place you wanted to be. The room was no larger than this place, and all the new movies were along the wall, and all the old movies were in the middle. Remember that? No one went to the middle. You would run to the corner of Blockbuster, and you'd peruse the aisles for two hours. And as a little kid, we didn't have trailers. We didn't have streaming. We didn't have cell phones. You had a VHS and you'd grab the back. This is like the age of dinosaurs and you'd read it. Oh my gosh, he says this is a great movie. And I, you would spend an hour in Blockbuster even before you were fulfilled entertainment wise. You didn't even need to watch the movie. So now imagine this 10 year old is now grown up and my wife hands me the controller. You pick the movie, honey. Guess what I do for an hour? I watch trailers for an hour. My wife is laying hands on me, trying to cast this demon out. And we fight. I'm not, honestly, I'm not allowed to touch a controller anymore. If I do, she says, call me in 30 minutes. Because I want to watch trailers before we watch the movie. There's another area, just confessing, husbands, back me up. Is it hard to find a place to eat dinner? Come on. And maybe your wife says, my wife says, you pick the place. I'll, I'll go. Single men, she's lying. She's lying. Honey, do you want to hear? No. How about this place? Oh, do you even know me? Like, the, the, the attitude I get. And then I say, honey, you pick the place, and I'll go, oh, you're so annoying. Oh, I can't. I'm just going to microwave something. And, and this isn't just the indecision with my, husband, my wife and I. Even my kids have indecision. Maybe your kids have this problem. Uh, my three-year-old hates going to bed, FOMO. And we put her in bed, and, and she will fight. Like, even if you give her melatonin, she will kick and scream, just trying to stay awake. And we'll be watching TV. My wife has the control of Netflix, of course. And the, the three-year-old will come up, I'm like, Dad, Dad, go to bed. Dad, can I have waffles in the morning? I'm like, girl, you have waffles every morning. Yes, go to bed. Five minutes later, Dad, Dad. 
And I, if I interrupted, Dad, you're not listening. Dad, like in tears, upset that I'm not, I'm like, honey, what? It's 10 o'clock. You should be in bed. Can I have gummy vitamins, Dad? I'm like, you have them every morning. Yes. Go. Five minutes later, every night. And I wrote down like this, and this is going to help some of you. Many of us are living in a place of indecision. And indecision robs us of progress, and it leaves us restless. I mean, we can talk about Netflix movies and where to eat, and, and my daughter having FOMO of going to sleep, but what about if you should take this job or that job? What about the person you're dating? Should you marry them? Should you even offer two jobs? One gives you a lot of RSUs and one, which one should you take? Should you start that business? Should you write that book? Should you move to that city? There are indecision. So many people are stuck, and there, there are four kinds of people that are indecision. The first one's FOMO. My daughter, my three-year-old, she's got FOMO, fear of missing out. People in this room, you're afraid of making a decision. Want to come over to my house on Friday? Maybe. It's Tuesday. Can I let you know an hour before Friday, the dinner? Why? Because you're afraid to commit because something, what if something bigger comes up? What if there's a, a party and your future husband's there? And I, I, if I commit, my life is over. So you have fear of commitment and you have indecision and you live your whole life restless. There's another type of indecision. It's procrastination. Maybe some of you have that. You're, you're overwhelmed with your tasks at school. Maybe you're a student. Maybe you're overwhelmed with the projects at work. Or maybe all of the things you should have been doing in your home but you haven't done in weeks. And just the thought of tackling everything leaves you so restless you don't do anything. And the, you're, you're filled not with progress but with anxiety. Others of you in this room, you, you're excellent in everything you do. But the, that blessing is also a curse because you don't, you're allergic to average. Your indecision is because you're a perfectionist. My wife, this is her, she's, she's, she's a photographer, she's a preacher, she's a creative. She does nothing average. Anybody thankful for Pastor Yaz? Come on. But at the same time, I see my wife, will, sometimes she's hindered in taking the risks that I take. She's like, she looks at me, she's like, you're an idiot. And because when she wants to produce something, it has to be amazing. And she's stuck in this place of indecision, not realizing that something now is better than nothing tomorrow. 80% in today is better than 100% in never. It's the fourth type of person that you have a lot of indecision in your life. It's fatigue. Uh, I've read a bunch of books on productivity, and, and most people, don't, they don't have wisdom on how they live their life. And you just do 20 things. The first 20 things that pop in your head, you just do them, not realizing your brain is actually a muscle. Imagine doing biceps all morning long. Your arm would be sore by 2 o'clock. And even if I gave you a 5-pound weight, you could barely lift that thing. Your brain is the same way. Some of you try to overcome indecision with a second shot of coffee. But what do you do? You know what my daughter does? She goes, Dad, come and sleep with me. And I grab my daughter's hand, and we go to bed. And within 30 seconds, this girl, just my presence being there with her, allows her to fall asleep. Can I tell you, you have someone way better than me. Even though I'm a good, good father, my, you have a heavenly father who wants to be in your life, who wants to help you when you feel stuck. Amen? And look what it says in James chapter 1, starting at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, if you don't know what to do, if you don't know which, which, which career to go down, if you don't know when you should change your career, if you should move to this city, join that church, date this boy, what do you do when you don't know what to do? If any of you lacks wisdom, I think there's a room full of people who don't know what to do sometimes. You have indecision, but look what the solution is. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God 
who gives not stingily, but generously, amen? Who gives generously without, without finding fault. What does that mean? Even if you don't think you're deserving of it, he still wants to give it to you. Even when my daughter disobeys me, even when she stays up, wait, I still give her gummy vitamins in the morning, amen? Some of you need to have a, a heavenly picture of a father where you don't need to earn or like works towards him giving you wisdom. He gives you wisdom not by works, but by birth. That you're a son and daughter of the most high. But when, someone say, but when. As a theologian, I love big butts. But when. I'm, I'm preaching the Bible here. Can we focus, please? I'm thinking about Jesus. You're thinking about Sir Mix-a-Lot. Let's focus. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubt is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. See, sometimes when you're, un, when you're stuck in those moments. See, people who have FOMO, they're, they're driven not by faith but by fear. And you don't know who your father is. Because 1 John 1 says, perfect love, cast out fear. People who procrastinate, they're overwhelmed by what they need to do, how they need to solve the problems, and they carry all the burden by themselves, not realizing God's with them. And he wants to give you a peace that surpasses understanding. Perfectionists, they're seeking the appraisal of man when you already have the appraisal of one. I love that Jesus, before he did anything, before he healed anyone, before he walked on water, before he healed anyone who was deaf or blind, God at his baptism says, this is my son with whom I'm well. He was given a report card of blessing before he earned it. Perfectionists need to know that you have a heavenly father who's proud of you, not by what you do, but by whose you are. Yeah. But how, how do I get this wisdom, Pastor? What, what do I, I, I just got to ask? Well, sometimes we have the wrong mindset. Sometimes we, even though we're Christians, we, we think in a way that our mindset is holding us back in this place of indecision. God has a solution. Anybody want the solution? Romans chapter 12, verses starting at 2. But be transformed by the renewing. Someone say renewing. It's this active, continuous word. That means if you renewed your mind last week, listen, you got to do it again this week. And if you you renewed your mind today, let me give you some good news. You got to do it again next week. It's this thing that it's caught. It's not one time. It's daily. It's every day that you're breathing. You got to renew your mind. By the renewing of your mind, then, someone say then. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. I wrote it down like this. Write this down. It's going to help some of you. The will of God. If you want to know the will of God, you need to read the word of God and, and to hear the voice of God. So too many people are, are, hey, pastor, can you pray for me? Hey, hey, let me ask five people. And you ask everyone except for Jesus. And remember, I didn't grow up in, in the church. I didn't get saved till 24. But uh, I have friends who are Christian. They have this, these bracelets, WWJD. Anyone remember those? This is what the, actually the Bible teaches. It's on the screen. Think like Jesus and you'll live like Jesus. Because the idea is not to copy what he does. The idea is to think the way that he thinks, to renew your mind in such a way that you begin to think like Jesus, then you'll live like Jesus. Some of you, your life is dominated by indecision, fear, anxiety, perfectionism, maybe fatigue. And and God wants to help you with your indecision because you're in this place where you're not making progress and your life is restless. And uh, what, what I want to do this morning is I want to give you a case study through the, the book of Daniel. And Daniel is this amazing prophet. I've preached through this book before. We did it last November. It was amazing. It was really hard to preach because uh, we, we went there. We talked about stuff we've never talked about before as a church. But this story is 600 B.C., 2,500 years ago. 
Uh, Daniel, Israel's now divided into two nations. There's a northern and a southern, even though they're one. This is like in America, there's east coast and west coast rappers, so there's tension between the two. This is Israel. they got tension between north and south. Maybe in California, NorCal, SoCal. This is the same thing. Israel's in the north, Judah's in the south. They're the same country, the same people, but they got tension. And Judah in the south is led by a king named Jehoiakim. And he's commanded by Jeremiah, repent, repent, come back to God. But he doesn't do it. And then Nebuchadnezzar, this king of Babylon, comes and besieged. It's the Old Testament word for attacked, destroyed. He in, destroys the walls of Judah, takes the things of the temple of God, and even takes these young people. And this is not the first time the Bible mentions this word Babylon. It actually shows up in the very first book of your Bible in Genesis chapter 11. It's the Tower of Babel. It's the people of God across the world. They want to build a tower to the heights of heaven because the Bible says they want to be like God. That's the temptation that every Christian will face. It's the same temptation Adam and Eve faced. If you eat this apple, you will what? Be like God. And so Adam and Eve, they, they, they eat it and they, they rebel. And, 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 and I wrote down like this, pride is at the heart of every sin. That's what C.S. Lewis says. And so Babylon, the very first time we hear this word in the Bible is the Tower of Babel. And now in the book of Daniel, it's this nation. It's this superpower. It, the walls of Babylon are 330 feet high. They're 85 feet wide. The historians say that you could have chariot races on the, around the walls. This is the first world super. Imagine building that wall without a crane, without tractors and, and electric equipment. It's crazy. This is a superpower, but they're super godless. And then we get to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelations. We are again introduced to this country, this thought, this word, Babylon. Three entire chapters in the book of Revelations are devoted to this word, this country, this nation. Because in the beginning, it begins as a tower, and then it progresses to a nation, and by the book of Revelations, it's a mindset. It's a way of thinking. Babylon represents an archetype, a, a people that don't want God, a people that want to live a life apart from him. We, we, we want to be God. We don't want God. We want to be worshipped. We don't want to worship. You submit to me. You don't submit to Jesus. And so often what we don't realize is that Babylon, when it talks about it in the Bible, it, it is woven throughout the entire scriptures, and it is an archetype. It is a mindset, and this mindset wants to take you out, and the enemy he does three things to Daniel to try to remove him from his calling, remove him from the, the, the calling of God in his life. And, and so often, Daniel, we don't realize this, Daniel was surrounded by other Christians. But he was the only one that chose to live for Jesus. And you need to write these things down. The plan of the enemy, number one, is to isolate you. Someone say isolate you. He wants to pull you away. He wants to separate you. You will walk away from the community of faith before you walk away from the faith. You will walk away from Christians before you walk away from Christ. He wants to separate you. This is why in the book of 1 Peter, the Bible says that the devil walks around like a lion. He doesn't have teeth, though. He looks like a lion, but he doesn't bite like a lion. Lions, though, they still hunt. The devil still hunts like a real lion. If you ever watch the Discovery Channel, they don't go after the herd. They go after the one that's isolated. They go after the one that's alone. And the way the devil attacks you is not with teeth and fists or guns or knives, but with lies. He wants to pull you away. Do you, you, you don't believe what those people believe. Oh, my gosh, don't be so religious. You don't need to go to church every week. And he plants these little lies into your mind to get you to walk away from the community of faith before you ultimately walk away from your faith. And 
I, I wrote it down like this. I, I, let me read this to you. It says, when uh, in, in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, what he does is he doesn't capture the country. He comes into the country of, of Judah and he takes the people away. Not the old people, by the way, because he knows he can't indoctrinate them. He takes the young people away. All the kids that are in high school, he takes all of them and brings them to Babylon. Imagine for a moment you're an 18, 19 year old kid in high school. Maybe you're a Valley Christian or you're at King's Academy. Some teachers in the room, come on. And then imagine every day you, you, you're hanging out with your Christian parents and you're praying before a meal. And then every day you're, you're with Christian teachers and with Christian friends. And on Sunday you're at Bold Church because you're, come on. And then imagine your teachers are Laker fans and they're super demonic. And no one talks about Jesus. Imagine how hard that would be as a, as a 30-year-old, let alone a 17-year-old. The enemy wants to pull you away from the people that want to encourage you in the faith. And what's so sad about this story is that the, these, these kids, these 18-year-old kids, they didn't do anything to deserve this. They're paying for the price of the sins of their parents. Let me speak to the parents for a moment. Your faith, it matters. Your church attendance, it's not just for you anymore. You're modeling faith to your children. And when you don't put God as a priority, God won't even show up on their list in their life. And don't, your rhythms, your habits, your prayer life, it is modeling faith to your kids. And, and maybe, maybe you're in this room, you're like, well, Pastor Ali, these are high school kids 2,500 years ago. How does this apply to me? I'm Silicon Valley. I'm, I'm like, I DoorDash. I don't even leave my house. I work remotely. I get annoyed when my DoorDash comes cold and soggy. Come on. I, I complain on Amazon when they don't deliver in two days. Like, how does this apply to me? You got to understand, the devil will always pull you away from the things that, that God is trying to build. And, and God doesn't build governments. He builds families. The first basis, the first thing that God builds is Adam and Eve. He builds a family. So if you want a great marriage, if you want a godly marriage, realize the devil's going to attack it. The when does Satan show up in the Bible? After Adam and Eve get married. So when you have those thoughts, I, I don't, I don't want to be married anymore. I want to quit. Those aren't thoughts from God because God will never want to separate what, what he brought together. You want to be part of a life-giving church that goes after the lost? Come on, we've seen over three, almost 300 people get saved in this church. You want to be part of a life-giving church? Realize the devil will pull you away. Why? Because the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Jesus, is, Jesus, I will build my church and the gates will not. Why? Because you're, you're pushing back the darkness. Because he wants, he wants churches small. He wants churches weak. He wants churches small and meager, not, not commanding and reaching people. He will always separate you from the thing that, was, that will most give you life. But then he does a second thing. The second thing the devil plan is he will indoctrinate you. He will indoctrinate you. I remember uh, at my old, I used to work as a software engineer for 14 years. And my last company I worked for was a company called Financial Engines. And the, the founder was actually this Jewish Stanford professor. And we were looking up online and reading about him. And I don't know why I just got lost in this internet. And I remember researching Nobel Prize, because he won the Nobel Prize for this like financial engine thing. And I remember researching, well, how many you know, Jewish people won the Nobel Prize? And I was shocked to realize that over the last 150, 200 years, 25% of Nobel Prize winners are Jewish. That was crazy to me because they are less than 1% of the population in the world. And they weren't even a country until 1948. And so you can think, think theologically, oh, they have the blessing of Abraham. God will bless those who bless them and curse those. But it's deeper than that. See, the, what you need to realize is in Israel, these little kids, they have a mindset. 
they're taught from a very young age not to sing Taylor Swift songs or Justin Bieber songs, which our generation of kids memorize. That, that generation, they're taught the great Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. That he's merciful, that he's kind, that his love goes up to a thousand generations. What are they teaching their kids? That God loves them, that he's for them, he's got their back. And even when you fall down, God will raise you back up. And these little kids are believing and confessing that I'm special. I'm a somebody. God wants to use me to change the world. And that's why this small country has 25% of the Nobel Prize for winners. You need to realize the devil wants to change the way you think. Not because he cares how you think, because the way you think changes the way that you live. Let me read you. The world wants to give you a thinking that's temporary. The kingdom wants to give you eternal eternity. The world wants to give you thinking that's all about pleasure and happiness. The, the, the kingdom wants to give you thinking about joy. The world wants to worship creation. The kingdom wants to worship the creator. The world thinks man is God. The kingdom thinks man submits to God. The world wants loves their sin. The kingdom hates their sin. The world loves vengeance. The kingdom seeks love's mercy. The, the world holds on to unforgiveness. Watch this. The kingdom of heaven forgives 70 times 7. It's different. And watch what they do to Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 verse 4 says he was teaching them the language and literature of the Babylonians. So imagine you're in Valley Christian and now you're in uh, the school of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. Someone say three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. They were educated and indoctrinated for three years. Why? Because it's not enough to know how they live. It's not enough to know how they behave. They want you to live and behave like them. Because they think if we just give you three weeks of this, you'll, it'll just go in one ear out the other. But we're going to give it to you for three years. Because you got to test car, drive the car before you take it home. You have to live with her before you marry her. Come on. No one is truthful on their taxes. And there's this mindset in our culture that things that people say, because everyone does it, there's this push, there's this drive, there's this pressure to think like everybody else. Let me tell you, no ringy, no dingy. Come on. Let me tell you, ladies, if he, has a, if he doesn't have a job and he's awesome at video games, tell him no, no money, no honey. Come on. You need to have a different mindset. And then you got to understand that the, the enemy, he, I read this article about power. There's soft power and there's hard power. See, the enemy, he, he doesn't use hard power. Hard power is cops coming with guns, ISIS using force and control to get you to do what they, ISIS says, if you don't believe in Sharia law, we'll kill you. Cops, they don't use force unless they need to. I'm grateful for the cops. If there's a crazy person that wants to hurt us, cops will use force to stop them. The enemy, though, he doesn't use force. It's not hard power. It's soft power. It's influence. It's lies. It's, oh, my gosh, everybody's doing it. Oh, my gosh, you don't be the only one who's not. And you get this culture to think a certain way. All the movies preach one way. All the songs, every magazine, every celebrity, everyone's saying this is the way. And you think, okay, well, and you forget what Jesus said. And you don't realize that you are being influenced through soft power. So the enemy, his attack is to first isolate you, to indoctrinate you, and the last one is this, to identify. To ident he wants to give you a new name. And what is so beautiful about these young men, these Israelite boys, that their names declare the goodness and of our God. Let me read you what their names mean. Daniel means God is my judge, but it was named to Belshazzar, which means Bel, which is a false god, will protect his life. Are you seeing this? Instead of putting your hope in Jesus, you're putting the hope in this false God. Hanani, which means Jehovah is gracious. What a great name. 
mean, his name was changed to Shadrach, which means uh, uh, commander of the moon god. Mishael means who is like God. Imagine you having that name. Everywhere you go, who's like God? You're just evangelizing everywhere you go by saying your name. <laughs> who is like God? And then his name is changed to Mishael, or, uh, I'm sorry, his name is changed to Abednego, which means who is like a coup. Who is like a coup? And the last name, Azariah, Jehovah is my helper. His name is changed to, there is no other God like Niku. And the question is, well, what do you do, Pastor Ali? What do you do with, when the enemy wants to influence you? He wants to, to indoctrinate you, to isolate you and change your identity. And it's often, this is why so many Christians live a life of fear, of anxiety, of perfection. Because we think the way the culture thinks. We, we define success the way the culture defines success. We define greatness the way the world defines greatness. And we're stuck with indecision. We can't make progress and we, our life is restless. How do we overcome this? Well, let me give you an example, and then we'll, we'll give you the three ways. Uh, my daughter, who's three, the one who has FOMO, by the way, she, she's born the last week of October. So she loves Halloween. And that's terrible for me because we have Disney Plus in my house. So every day in the month of October, my wife and I will confess, we watch Nightmare Before Christmas. And I have this, these songs stuck in my head all day long. And so this last year, we, we said, honey, what do you want to do for your birthday? What kind of birthday do you want? I was thinking like maybe unicorns or like a bluey or something, like fun, you know, like these kids' movies. Like, remember anyone watch Coco Melon? Like, she loved Coco Melon. I'm like, what do you want? She's like, Nightmare Before Christmas. I'm like, it's ugly. There's monsters. They're not even like good looking monsters. It's like kind of scary. Like, you're a three. Like, I want Nightmare Before Christmas. But then I'm like, you want. Like, what are you going to wear, honey? She's like, I'm going to be a princess. I'm like, let me get this straight. You're going to be a Disney princess, but Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. I'm like, it doesn't mix, honey. You can't. She's like, that's what I want. And that's what she did. Look at the screen. She's a Disney princess, and it's Nightmare Before Christmas. How can you do both, Pastor Ali? That is a perfect picture of what God wants to do in your life. God wants you in the world, but not of it. I wrote down like this. Christians are called to live in Babylonian culture, to cooperate, but not compromise. Come on. You you are a Disney princess, but you are surrounded by Nightmare Before Christmas. Do you know who you are? Have you, the reason why you live with indecision is because you don't know you're a princess. You don't know you're a prince. You're called to be a, you are called to be a Disney princess in Nightmare Before Christmas. Come on. Put the picture back up. I'm going to inspire some people in this room. That's what God wants you to do. Let me remind you, the greatest calling on your life is not to build a 401k or RSUs. You are a missionary for Jesus in your workplace. I'm grateful for your house, and maybe some of you have a second house, but I'm more grateful when you are the light of the world in a very dark place. Come on, you, you are called to be the light of the world, a city on a hill. You don't put that light under a, a, a lamp. You let so others can shine. I wonder how many of your coworkers know that you're a faithful believer in Christ. As weird as it, you can't be a princess in this culture. No, I'm a Disney princess. Even though we live in Nightmare Before Christmas. 
That's what God wants you to do. You're a missionary. You're not a missionary in Africa. You're a missionary in the Bay Area. God called you here. Why? To build a church for unchurched people. Come on. I'm grateful that some of you work in the doctor industry. Some of you work at Apple and Facebook and tech industry. But your greatest calling is to be a child of God. That's who you are. That's who you are. So let me give you the three things that the enemy wants to help you. That Daniel, his lifestyle, how he overcomes indecision in his life. The first one is this. Daniel's plan. Commitment happens in community. You know, you know why workout classes are, have 30 people now? Why, why yoga and CrossFit? There's so many people. Why? Because when you don't want to go, you have a group of people encouraging you to keep going. You need a tribe. You need a posse. You need an entourage. Daniel had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Every time his name is mentioned in the book of Daniel, it's never alone. It's with his crew. The book of Proverbs says this, Proverbs 13, verse 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. If you take this thought, go to the next slide. Walk with blank and you become blank. Walk with those who love working out and you'll become a person who loves working out. Walk with people who love donuts and you will become a person who loves donuts. (laughs) Let's spiritualize this. Walk with people who fast and pray. You'll become a person who fasts and prays. Walk with someone who puts God as a priority in life, and you will become a person who puts God as a priority in life. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. You are a byproduct of the people that you do life with. Listen, I'm not talking about people you do church with. I'm talking about people that you do life with. Jesus did ministry with 72 people. Sent them out two by two. He did leadership with 12. Listen, though. Even Jesus had his crew, his posse. He had three people that he did friendship with, Peter, James, and John. The Transfiguration, the Garden of Gethsemane, they were places of intimacy and solitude. He only did with those three. He did life with the. He's a friend of sinners! Yes, they hung out with him. Jesus didn't hang out with them. Don't get it confused. Because the people you hang out with are the people that, because if you walk, Jesus never walked, did life with sinners. He was around them and then recharged somewhere else. It's a big difference. Who do you walk with? And sometimes, First uh, Corinthians 15, this is going to challenge some of you. It says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. It does not say good character changes bad company. No, I'm missionary dating, Pastor Ali. No, you're not. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. And this is why we justify our best friend being a non-believer. You, you can't survive in Nightmare Before Christmas, unless you have other people who know their Disney princesses too. Bad company corrupts good character. You got good character. Who are your friends? I, I wrote down like, like this, and this is going to challenge some of you. Your closest friendships should be other committed Christians in this church. If your best friend's not in the room, you have a problem, not me. Because you're walking with people that you shouldn't be walking with. Number two, Daniel's plan was to covenant towards conviction. Someone say conviction. Conviction is different than compulsion. Compulsion is I want it now. Conviction says I'll have delayed gratification. Conviction says if it feels good, I'm going to do it. Conviction says I only do it in the right time. Conviction says let's have sex, you're hot. Conviction says no ringy, no dingy. It's different. It's not that you don't want those things, but the way you do it is different. My kids, what do you want for ice cream? They will always be led by conv- convulsion. Give me ice cream. Give me chick- we had Chick-fil-A last night. I want it again. 
Why? Because they're led by their flesh. You're called not to be led by your feelings or what feels good, but what is good. And, and Daniel, he, he's in this culture where he's in Babylonian school, he's in Babylonian high school, learning the, the language, learning the culture, doing all things, but he has a line that he will not cross. He says, there's a line, I, I can't. And the Bible doesn't tell you why Daniel won't eat the food. He has a conviction. See, conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. And if I give you my convictions, that's religion, by the way. God wants to speak to you himself. Why? Because you're his kid. He wants to talk to you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to tell you things for you not to do and to do that have nothing to do with me. From the age of 25 to 35, I didn't even own a TV. Not because I couldn't afford one, because the Holy Spirit told me not to have one. Because he wanted me to study. Job 31 Verse 1, it says, I covenanted to not look at a woman lustfully. I made that decision long before I met Pastor Yaz. So we watch movies and there's, you know, naked people. I look away. And in the beginning, she would put her hands up. Don't look. I'm like, you don't need to worry about that. I've already decided. That's me. I wrote down like this. If you haven't drawn your lines yet, you will always be pushed past them. You will always be pushed past them. What's your line? What's your conviction? What has God told you to do? Daniel, for some reason, he's like, I, I don't know if this, this food is sinful. I don't know what's wrong with it. I don't know if they, it's kosher or not. I, I just don't, I just, I heard the voice of God. I just can't eat it. And he wasn't disrespectful. He was humble. He says, can I get permission to not eat this food? Because he just felt this conviction. Even though all the other Christians around him are eating it, he has this conviction, even if no one else does, I still will obey yeah. you, Lord. I won't. I won't eat it. The Bible says that Daniel, for 10 days, ate fruits and vegetables, which sounds like hell, by the way. Come on. <laughs> sounds terrible. But he was 10 times stronger than all the other men. I wrote down like this, you are one ordinary step of obedience away from an extraordinary blessing from God. One small step of obedience towards your conviction that even if no one else obeys it, you obey it. What's God saying to you? If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. And he'll tell you. And when he speaks, don't be tossed to and fro. Draw the line. To come hell or high water, even if no one, I'm going to obey you, God. And even if no one else does, I still will. Third thing Daniel does. It's community, conviction, character. Someone say character. He was committed to having godly character, which is about his identity, who he was. You can put me in Babylon, but I'm not Babylonian. You can take me out of Judah, but you can't take the Judah out of me. You take me away from Christian families, but you can't take Christ out of me. And I, I love when I was studying for the book of Daniel, that there's this amazing fact I never knew. It, the, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And the way that they translated the, the Bible to, to English was they'd go to the original language, and the people, they had to literally copy the Bible word for word, sentence by sentence, by hand, long before the printing press. So these scribes, that was their job. Like in our culture, being congressman or, or like CEO is like the highest, most lofty goal, job. In the Jewish culture, it was being a scribe. 
because you are handling the book of God. It's the most important job. So you never made mistakes. If you did, you'd throw it away and start over. And yet theologians found that, the, that Daniel's name, Belshazzar, was misspelled. Like, oh, the Bible's perfect, but it is, there's just one little mistake. Then they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they found the original Hebrew words. And they found that it was misspelled on purpose. And what Daniel was saying is, he was sticking it to the man. You can call me Belshazzar, but this is called the book of Daniel. Because I know who I am. I'm a Disney princess, bro. That sounds weird, but you know what I'm talking about. He, he on purpose, to stick it to the Babylonians, misspelled his name every single time in the book of Daniel. Because that wasn't his identity. What's your identity? You gotta be committed to who God calls you to be. For 10 days, Daniel ate. And the, the journey of indecision, do I eat the food? Do I not eat the food? I'm afraid of obeying, I'm afraid, I have anxiety, I, I wanna. It didn't end. Nebuchadnezzar dies, and another king, a Persian king. The Bible says once you go Persian, there's no better version. A king named Darius comes. And he becomes the ruler of of the Babylons. It's, he, now Daniel goes from one kingdom to the next and Darius creates a rule. If you bow down and pray to any God other than me, you're going to be thrown in the lion's den. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 6 that as it was his custom, sometimes it says as it was his habit, Daniel went to his room and he opened the door to his window so that everyone could see. And he got down on one knee, two knees, and he prayed. And said, Daniel, if you pray, you're going to die. He says, if I don't pray, I'm already dead. And he was quoting to them the great theologian MC Hammer. You got to pray just to make it today. Do you know who you are? What are you going to do even if no one else in this church does it? Some, maybe the indecision, maybe the, the tension, maybe the, the difficulty of moving forward in faith is because you're restless, can't make progress. Instead of being led by fear, you're being led by. Instead of being led by fear, you, you need to be led by faith. Instead of trying to be a perfectionist, you need to realize you're already accepted by God. You're in a culture of Babylon that doesn't want God, that doesn't believe in God. We live in the most unchurched region in the entire country, 98% unchurched. But I'm here to declare you are a Disney prince and princess. You are called to be in it, but not of it. You can bow your heads and close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Jesus, for this word. Thank you, God, that you want to give me a mindset that's different. That I don't need to live in fear anymore, God. I don't need to live in indecision. I don't need to li live a life that, that's always procrastinating, always trying to overwhelmed by anxiety on, on all the things I want to do. Or maybe, God, I, you struggle with perfectionism. God, I, I, I want to do it, but I'm afraid of failing. I'm, I want to do it, but I, I don't want to disappoint someone. And maybe that's, that, that's how you would identify your life. God wants to give you a new mindset, a different mindset, a heavenly mindset. Because when you think like Jesus, you'll live like Jesus. If you want the abundant life, you need an abundant mindset. God, I pray for everyone in this room that's struggling with this tension. God, remind them they are a Disney prince and princess, but they're, they're living in Nightmare Before Christmas. Remind them, God, that the enemy wants to isolate them, indoctrinate them, 
give them a new identity. But God, you, you want me to have a tribe. You, you, you call me to have my Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego. Who are the people I don't just do church with, but that I do life with, God? Help me find those people. God, remind me of my convictions. What are the things that you're speaking to me? Help me obey those things even when I'm uncomfortable, God. God, give me the character of Daniel. That I'm not committed to purpose, I'm committed to purity. I'm not committed to, to, to excelling and advancing. I'm committed to doing the things that you've called me to do. I'm a son and daughter of the Most High. To every eye closed, every head bowed. And I just feel led to pray for some of you this morning that maybe this is your first time in church, maybe your first time in a long time. And you've never heard about having a relationship with the living God, Jesus. Daniel worshiped Jesus. Daniel loved Jesus because Jesus died on a cross for Daniel's sins. And that's what we are as a faith community. It's not about good works. It's not about mindsets. We are, we are Jesus people. We worship him. We pray to him. And we obey him. And he wants us to think differently. He wants to tell us who we are. Because he's the one that made us and created us. But we sinned against him. We rebelled. We didn't listen. We, did our, we went our own path on our own way. And the only way to be reconciled to the king, the only way to be reconciled to Jesus, someone needs to pay for our sin. Jesus doesn't want us, because the Bible says that the wage of sin is death, but Jesus doesn't want us to die. So he came to die in our place for our sin. And if you want to become a Christian, it's not about doing anything. It's about placing your faith in him. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you this morning, and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, you've never prayed this prayer. And you want to pray that prayer with me. You're not saying yes to me, by the way. You're not saying yes to this church. You're saying yes to Jesus. I want to count to three. One, two, three. If that's you this morning and you want to pray to receive Jesus, your Lord and Savior. Amen. I see your hand. I see your hand. You can put your hand down. Just pray this prayer. Thank you, Jesus. You can all pray this prayer in your heart or out loud. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven become a man, sinless and perfect. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on a cross for my sin. I receive your salvation. I receive your free gift. I didn't do anything to earn it, but I receive it. God, give me a new mindset. Give me a new conviction. Give me a new community so I can live out what you've called me to do. Come on, church, can we clap for the hand that went out the Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.